Thanks for downloading this week's podcast from Crossroads. We are glad you took the time to listen. As you tune in today, if you need encouragement or prayer, please reach out to us by texting 864-288-1626. Or you can find out more information at our website, hope at crossroads.org. Spread the word to your friends. Let them know they can subscribe at Apple Podcasts or on Spotify. Videos of our messages are also online at hope at crossroads.org. And now, Here's this week's podcast. I hope you're doing well this morning. If you are visiting with us today, we are especially glad that you're here. want to encourage you, if you would, to stop by that table at the back wall under our Crossroads banner and pick up a, a gift bag before you leave. And um, before we look at our text this morning, which is Ephesians chapter 4, uh, we want to pray for one of our own. Uh, I think most of you know, uh, because it's gone through the crossroads uh, chain, uh, that Jeff Griffith is, uh, uh, for lack of a better word, missing. He's actually not missing because God knows where he, where he is. But uh, he went off fishing, I think, Friday and has not come back yet. And so I am hoping that he's found a secret fishing hole and he's just planted himself. But uh, we're concerned that's not the case. So could we just stop for just a minute? And uh, pray for him. Father, we lift up Jeff to you right now. uh, Collectively as a church family who loves him. And Lord, our love for him pales in comparison to your love for him. But we pray right now in the name of Jesus. That you would protect him wherever he is. And you would put your angels around him. Lord, that you would bring him back safely and for his family. Uh, Lord, even uh, us as extended family. We pray that you would give us the comfort of your Holy Spirit. And we, uh, we trust you, Lord. We trust you. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. If you have your Bible, if you'll open up to Ephesians chapter 4. Thank you, Teresa, for that testimony. And a praise team and choir. And a Connie for that song that is very fitting for what we're going to be looking at today. We are continuing our study about learning to be a warrior. And if you've been following along through the book of Ephesians, Paul gives us several tools to be a warrior for Jesus. He talks to us about uh, the fact that we've talked about how we're adopted, how we're chosen. We're heirs of Christ Jesus. We have those credentials that are uh, as a part of our testimony. Uh, and when we're plugged into the source and the power of the Holy Spirit, and we're strengthened by that Spirit, not only individually but corporately, those are a lot of tools that God gives us to be a warrior for Him. And when we get into chapter 4, we discover yet another tool, and that tool is, just to kind of tell you the end of the sermon at the beginning, that tool is unity, being united, not divided, but being united. I was thinking about that this week, and looking through my social media feed, and scanning, and scanning on the media, on the television, and I thought, wow, we live in the most divided time, at least in my lifetime, that I have ever seen. Uh, It's in our country, Sad to say, it is in our uh, culture, it's in our convention, as a Southern Baptist convention, it's even in some of our churches. Uh, I think, personal opinion, I think one of the reasons, perhaps, that God is blessing Crossroads is because there is a spirit of unity here. And I will tell you, and we're going to look at the text today, that the spirit of unity, when God, who is the one who... Uh, manifest that 
comes upon a group of people, it's worth maintaining. And that's what we're going to talk about this morning. So let's look at Ephesians chapter 4 and uh, read it together. I therefore, all right, let's stop. You should know by now when you see the word therefore, you need to ask, what is therefore, therefore? And therefore is there because of everything he said in chapter 1, chapter 2, and chapter 3. He's saying in light of all the things that I just kind of reviewed for you quickly, all the tools that you and I have, To be a warrior for Jesus. In light of all those things, Paul says, Therefore, I say this to you, as a prisoner of the Lord, which is how he started the previous chapter, I entreat you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling with which you've been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, showing forbearance to one another in love, being diligent, I love this phrase in the New American Standard, being diligent to preserve the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. For there is one body and one Spirit, just as also you were called in one hope of your calling. There's one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. But to each one of us, grace was given according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore, it says, and he quotes a passage in Psalm 68 here that talks about the triumphant warrior. Therefore, he says, when he ascended on high, he led captive a host of captives, and he gave gifts to men. Now, this expression, he ascended, what does it mean except that he also had descended into the lower parts of the earth? He who descended is himself also he who ascended far above all the heavens, that he might fill all things. Now, let me stop for just a minute. Verses 7 through 10, we could spend another couple weeks just preaching on those verses. And so, if you want to do that for homework... This afternoon, go look at Psalm 68. It's talking about the triumphant warrior. And so, Paul is kind of giving reference to that in the context of what he's saying here. There could be a couple messages just about those verses. So, for sake of time, we're going to just kind of keep reading the rest of these verses, this particular passage. Verse 11, he goes on to say this, And he, who is Jesus, gave some as apostles, some as prophets, some as evangelists, some as pastors and teachers, for the equipping of the saints for the work of service to the building up of the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to a mature man, to the measure of the stature which belongs to the fullness of Christ. As a result, we're no longer to be children, tossed here and there by waves, carried about by every wind of doctrine, by the trickery of men, by craftiness and deceitful scheming, but speaking the truth in love. We are to grow up in all aspects into Him who is the head, even Christ, from whom the whole body being lifted and held together by that which every joint supplies according to the proper working of each individual part causes the growth of the body for the building up of itself in love. Unity, unity, unity. Walking in unity, a great tool to be a warrior for Jesus. And I love what Paul says here about walking in unity. And there are a few things we want to look at quickly this morning. How does unity come? What are the things that foster unity? Because living in a a fellowship like Crossroads where we sense unity, I ask myself that question, where does that come from? How can we foster it? How can we maintain it? And Paul tells us right off the bat some ways to do that in those very first first few verses of chapter 4. He says this in verse 2. Unity comes by, number one, being humble. Being humble. 
I would guess if there are some things that foster unity, the opposite of those things might foster disunity, right? So if humility fosters unity, then pridefulness fosters disunity. Humility is uh, a very, very big thing. It's being not uh, pushy, not the desire to have our own agenda met, our own rights advanced. It means that we can be happy and we can be content when we don't control our own way. It's difficult. But that's what humility is, not thinking. Paul says in one of his other letters, it's not thinking of ourselves more highly than we ought. It's not thinking less of yourself, somebody said, but thinking of yourself less. I like that. So it's not that I have kind of a, a self-image or self-esteem where I think I'm worthless or I'm nothing. No, that's, that's not a healthy self-esteem. It's thinking of myself less and thinking of other people more. That's humility. But he also says not just humility, but gentleness and patience. Now, I don't know about you. Don't raise your hand. Anybody in here struggle with being patient? I think we all do. I do. Especially when you're driving down Woodruff Road. Being patient is very difficult. But Paul is telling us if you want to foster unity, being patient is one of the things that you and I need to be about. Being patient, waiting. I'll tell you what, it's not easy to wait. But we're reminded in Isaiah, I believe, the passage that says, if we wait upon the Lord, we will renew our strength. We will mount up with wings as eagles. But waiting is difficult. Reminds me of the story of the little boy. He was walking through the forest and he saw this cocoon on this tree and his dad was with him and he saw inside of the cocoon what looked like the beginnings of a butterfly trying to break free from that cocoon. And the little boy had his pocket knife and he said, Dad, he's struggling a little bit. Can I kind of slice the cocoon and let the, let the butterfly out? And luckily in wisdom, his dad said, no, 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 he has to wait. Because it's part of that waiting. And if you're into biology, you know these things. I did not do well in biology. I think I made a D in biology. And that was gracious. The teacher was very gracious to give me the D. But I remember in that class even talking about that, that when the butterfly is in the cocoon, part of the job of struggling and waiting is getting the chemicals into the wings. It takes time. And once those chemicals are in the wings, it will break free from the cocoon. But if the cocoon had been sliced by that little boy, the butterfly probably would have fallen on the ground and not been able to fly. Some of you are in that waiting season right now, and you're wondering, Hello, God! Have you forgotten where I live? Because he has you in that season of waiting. He knows where you are. He hasn't forgotten you. He hasn't forgotten me. That season of waiting will produce something. But being patient is not very easy. But being patient and waiting is part of what fosters unity. Paul goes on to say this. Not only humility and patience. But bearing or forbearing with one another in love. What that simply means is, there are many times, as we heard even in Teresa's testimony, that in life, because we're human, you're going to come across somebody who's going to do you wrong, either intentionally or unintentionally, yet they're going to do you wrong. And dare I say, if you live long enough, and especially if you're a young person, you're probably going to encounter this even in the church. And guess what? The reason that is, is because the church is full of imperfect people. 
If the church was perfect before you got here, when you came in the door, it became imperfect. Because we are all imperfect people. And so if you're looking for a place of belonging where you're not going to get potentially hurt, I don't know that that place exists on the planet. But the thing that protects us in the midst of those things is unity. But unity only comes, Paul says, from bearing with one another, forbearing for one another in love. Literally, it means that the Spirit in us has the power to take revenge when we are wrong, but chooses not to. You've been done wrong recently? Using that Woodruff Road example, if you're barreling down Woodruff Road and somebody cuts you off, what's your response? Is it, have a nice day? All right. You get a little aggressive onto that steering wheel. Forbearing with one another. It's interesting because the church that Paul is writing to at Ephesus, and keep in mind he's writing from prison, the church that he's writing to is not just what we think of when we think of church nowadays. What we think when we think of church nowadays a lot of time is a congregation, an organization, nothing wrong with either of those words. But we tend to think of a group of people that are... uh, registered for membership, and there's nothing wrong. It's actually biblical to be a member of a church. But we tend to think that way organizationally, whereas in Paul's day, what most people thought of when they heard of church, because most of them did not have buildings and air conditioning and sound systems and projectors, what most of them thought when they heard the word church and they were forbearing with one another and they were living in humility with one another, they were thinking of people. They were thinking of people that did life together, live together, work together. And they were united and they were in union, not organizationally, but they were in union by faith. And they were fellow members of the body, one of another, by one connection. And you know what that connection was? The Spirit of God. The Spirit of God, which is why the Holy Spirit is so important. And Paul goes on to say, when you have those things, here's what happens. You are being diligent to preserve the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. We're going to come back to that in just a minute. But then he switches gears a little bit. And these things, by the way, won't be on the screen, but he switches gears a little bit in verses 4 through 6. He talks about some things that are very important. He talks about one faith, one body, one Spirit, one Lord, one baptism, one God, one Father. And I love what Connie said because she said it so well. My dear friends... To have unity, to have true unity, doctrine matters. The doctrine of God's Word matters. There are some things that are non-negotiable. And she highlighted all those that are so important. There are some things that are non-negotiable. There are some things even in churches in Greenville County, in the South Carolina area, in our state, in our convention, there are some things being discussed for the sake of unity, that are contrary to this book. You cannot have unity if you are living contrary to what this book says. Hello? And there are churches, and there are going to be more pastors and more ministry leaders as our culture continues to go down the path that it's going, that are going to suggest that we compromise what God's Word says for the sake of unity. If you hear that, you need a red flag needs to go up and you need to know, look out, because this person is a false teacher and a false prophet. 
There are some things that are non-negotiable. Knowing that Jesus Christ was the Son of God, that he died on the cross for your sin and my sin, that he went to the grave, that he rose again, that he's coming back to take us. Those are non-negotiables when it comes to knowing Jesus. I don't think it's by accident that Paul lists some very important things there in those verses, basically to say if you want to be unified, you have to be unified somewhere. Because, see, there are a lot of differences even in our congregation spiritually about issues that we think. And some of those are negotiable. When is the Lord going to come back, for example? Is he going to come back before the rapture? Are you going to be left for the rapture? Some of those things that really get technical are perhaps up for discussion, but some things are not up for discussion, and those are who Jesus is. Is There is one Lord. There is one God. There is one way to get to God. His name is Jesus Christ. There are not many pathways to get to God. There's only one. Jesus himself said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man gets to the Father except by me. There's one way. And you're going to see in our culture, if you haven't already seen it, and even in churches in our culture, a beginning to skew things and broaden and get very general. It's just for the sake of unity. We just all need to get along. On the flip side of that same coin, there are some things that we can debate about and we can get in the weeds on that really don't matter. And we can tend to do that in the church. Not at crossroads, thankfully. But I hear these from other pastor buddies. Let me give you some of them. Where do we worship? My friends, where we worship is irrelevant. We can worship upstairs in the chapel, sanctuary. We can worship down here in the Family Life Center, worship center. We can worship in the ball field. We can worship at Lowe's Grocery. We can worship wherever we want. We can worship outside, inside, in the car, outside the car, in the shower. Wherever you want to worship, you can worship. The question is, are you worshiping? Because, see, just even sitting in this space does not mean you are a worshiper. You can just be taking up space in here, but not really worshiping. Your heart may not be engaged with the creator of the world. Baptism, where do we do baptism? Do we do it up there where there's a baptistry? Do we do it here in a tin tub? Do we do it in a river or a lake? By the way, you know they didn't have baptistries in the New Testament. You know Jesus himself was, was baptized in a river. You do know that, right? I know that you do, but some people don't. And those are the things we get in the weeds on and cause disunity. And I think it breaks the heart of God because he's looking going, those are picky personal preference issues. That is not the foundational truths of the word of God. Where you should be getting on your soapbox and drawing a line in the sand is, who do people say that I am? That's non-negotiable. And I see churches all over the Southern Baptist Convention and churches outside the Southern Baptist Convention, pastor friends of mine whose churches are imploding and falling apart. And most of the time, the reason why is they are arguing about minor issues and not staking their life on the truth of who Jesus Christ is. And it's frustrating because the devil is having a field day. And to Teresa's point, as we're going to see as we get into Ephesians chapter 5 and chapter 6, we are in a spiritual war, friends. By the way, just let me throw this in as a side. This is not in my notes. If you're a parent or grandparent, you should be very engaged with what is happening in the educational system right now with your kids and your grandkids. 
And if you're not, you better wake up. And I don't care if they go to a Christian school or not. Buy a humbug. That doesn't mean boo to me. That's great. But that doctrine that's incorrect can sneak into a Christian school as much as it can sneak into a Christian church. You say, how does that happen? It happens when people don't know what this book says. And I'm so glad that when Paul gets into more of this chapter, he talks about what the purpose is for those of us that gather in unity. So let's look at it. He says this. He says, he himself, in verse 11, has given us some things. And he lists some roles that people play. He himself, by the way, is Jesus. Jesus has given some roles to the church, to us, to help us be unified. And he mentions those apostles, those people who are special ambassadors for God's work, apostles. Apostles today don't serve quite in the same authoritative sense as they did in the first century, but there are people that God has set aside, I believe, to fulfill that role in Ephesians chapter 2. If you go back and you look at Ephesians chapter 2. He also talks about prophets, prophets who... Prophets are not fortune tellers, but prophets speak about truth that is mentioned in the Old Testament and mentioned in the New Testament, and they preach about complete consistency. But anytime they preach or they say that they're a prophet, and here's the, here's the yellow caution flag I would say to us as Crossroads, anytime they say that, they're always subject in the Bible, if you, if you study it, they're always subject to the discernment and judgment of the church leadership. Check it out, 1 Corinthians chapter 14. So if you're watching TV or the radio or you're visiting a church if you're out of town, you don't need to visit a church if you're in town because you've got to be here, right? But if you're on the road traveling for vacation and you're visiting a church and somebody says, I'm a prophet, You need to investigate, are they really a prophet of God or not? Because in the last days, there will be a lot of people say, I got a special word from, I got a special word from the Lord. I got a revelation. And I'm not making fun of that because I believe in the last days, God will raise up some people who are prophets who have special word from the Lord that we need to tune in and listen to. But he will also, if you read the Bible, he will also raise up people who will say that who will not be legitimate. The scary part is some people who say they are a Christ follower will follow the people who are not legitimate, not knowing. And they will be, like Paul goes on to say in this chapter, tossed about to and fro. Obviously, Paul has been hanging out with James because it's a lot of the similar language that James tells us in his letter. So what is our primary purpose then? He tells us of the church. What, what, is, what is the job of the staff? What is, what is our job to help us? How can we maintain unity? He tells us in there what our role is, what my role is primarily. Joey and Heath. Our primary purpose is not to convert sinners to Christianity, though that's important. But our primary purpose is to make you a warrior for Jesus. God forgive me because many times I drop the ball on that. Because the pressure is to appease because I love you and entertain you because I love you and to make you feel good because I love you. But dear friends, I want to tell you that is not what God's called people who stand in this place to do. He's called us to equip you and for us to equip each other through the power of the Spirit and the power of togetherness. I learn from you, you learn from me, we learn from each other, we grow, we mature. He goes on to say in verse 14, 
verse 13, until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God. Paul says, for what reason? To be mature man or mature woman, to be mature to the measure of the stature which belongs to the fullness of Christ. So then what is he telling us? How can we maintain unity? Well, go back with me just a second, if you would, to verse 3. Because there's something very critical I think we need to see here. Paul says, being diligent to preserve the unity. Some translations say, endeavor to keep the unity. So let's notice something. This is really important. Your job and my job is not to create unity. Because I can't create unity. I've been guilty of trying to create unity. You say, well, how, do you, how, does, how does it come? Unity comes from the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of God. When the Holy Spirit of God is in you and the Holy Spirit of God is in me, that's what creates unity. His Spirit bears witness with my spirit that I am the Son of God, First John talks about, and that you're a son or you're a daughter of God. It's that Spirit that builds the connection. So I can't create that. Paul is saying you can't create it, but you should endeavor to keep it or maintain it because it's important. Because there are some things that can destroy unity. And there are a few things, just, just so you know, my dear f- church family, there are a few things I'll go to my grave to maintain. But one of them for this group of people, because I love you, is I will go to my grave to preserve the unity of this church. Because it's important. It represents God's work here among us. More importantly than that, it represents to the world how we're living. I don't know how many times this has happened to you. It happens to me more often than I'd like where I'm sitting in a different coffee shop somewhere around town and I overhear some people from a certain church talking about their church or talking about their pastor in a negative way. And I think, thank goodness God I know you. Because if I was lost and I heard them talking about their church in that negative way, in the disunity of their church, why would I ever want to be a part of the church? So unity is worth maintaining. We can't create it. We have to maintain it. How do we maintain it? Three real quick things that he tells us to do that result from us when we are maintaining unity. And by the way, unity is not uniformity. You may be saying, well, does that mean you have to, we all have to agree? Does that mean everybody has to agree with the pastor? No. Thank God not everybody agrees with me because there's many times I'm wrong and I learn from you. Sometimes we have to agree to disagree. But we're all different. We have different backgrounds, different testimonies, different family situations. We look different. We think different. We're different ages. Quite honestly, I'd love for us to look a lot even more different. More ethnicities, more places from around the world. When we get to heaven, it's not going to be all Anglo-Saxon white people. It's going to be diversity. Isn't that an oxymoron? Doesn't that you guys know what an oxymoron is, right? Two words that go together that don't really get like jumbo shrimp. You know, that, that, okay. I mean, isn't that a, a paradox? Maybe that's a better word. I mean, does that not make sense that? In our diversity, God has created us. I mean, this is, only the creator of the universe could do this. That in our diversity, we can be un, unified and in unity. 
We all don't want 200 carbon copies of Jack Eason in this room. That would be a total disaster. We'd never get anywhere. We'd never accomplish anything for God. But God has given us some ways to help us maintain this and to tell us what the results are. So let me mention them to you real quickly as we wrap up. Here's the first one. He says this in verse 13. Being built up. Being built up. Unity results in being built up. If you want to know if you're a part of a church where unity exists, are you being built up spiritually? If you are, that's a result of unity being built up. Second thing he says there in verse 14 is being mature. Or verse 13, being mature. To the measure of the stature which belongs to the fullness of God. Not infinite infants, he says, but being mature. And he's not just talking about growing up physically. We are growing up physically. We are growing up and we're getting older. But he's talking about spiritually, are we growing up? Are we maturing? And then the third thing he says there is, in verse 14, not to be blown away by cunningness or craftiness. The ancient Greek word that he uses in that scripture is the same Greek word that we find where Jesus calms the storm on the sea when the sea is kind of doing this and is tossing up and down. It's the same kind of word picture he's using there. If we are tossed up and down to and fro by doctrine and by the devil's schemes and the trickery of men. That will not happen, Paul says, if we are living in unity. Because we will learn from one another. And unity results in not being blown away. Because God wants what? He wants us all to grow up. So here's, here's a question as we wrap up this morning. Are you living in unity? This is somewhat of an easy message for me because I, I really do believe that that's one of the reasons God is blessing our church. But there's a lot of places we need unity. We need unity in our church. We need unity in our homes. How's your home? Is your home living? Are you living in unity? We need it in the workplace. We need it in our culture. Are you, are you a catalyst for unity? There are some hills that are worth dying on. There are some hills not worth dying on. We need God's wisdom to know the difference. Would you pray with me this morning? Father, I thank you again for this church family. I thank you, Lord, for the way that you're working in this church. Lord, I confess to you that I, I just believe one of the reasons could be that we are a church striving to maintain, preserve be diligent about the unity that your Holy Spirit has created here, and I thank you for that. Lord, I pray if there's any need in any life today that you would meet that need according to where that person is. And Lord, the ultimate unity that we can have is our spirit with your spirit, and that only comes to a personal relationship with you, Jesus. So I pray if there's anyone in here today that needs to have their spirit united with your spirit, that they would surrender their lives to you this morning. And while you're there in your seat and you're just praying, I would just ask you that, friend. Have you surrendered your life to the Lord Jesus? We hope you've been challenged and inspired from today's message from Crossroads. You can find out more about the message you have heard today by visiting our website, hope at crossroads.org. If you live in the upstate South Carolina area and you're looking for a church home, we hope you'll come by and visit sometime. 
Details about our church and service times can also be found online. The last year has been one of chaos and confusion, and we know many have become isolated and lonely. You can get Pastor Jack's new book, The Loneliness Solution, Finding Meaningful Connection in a Disconnected World, a great resource that will help you, or you can give to a friend who might be struggling. This resource is also available at hope at crossroads.org. Thanks again for listening, and we hope you'll tune in again next week.